Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash Serlin. Welcome to Serlin on Game Design, Episode 2, Cooperative Games. Hi, uh, Photix, are you there? Hey, how's it going today? Hey, great. Let's have a great show. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about cooperative games, both the tabletop kind and the video game kind. This is definitely a subject that there's a lot of room, I think, for improvements in the way co-op games are made. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. Yeah, I think there's big problems with how co-op games are made in the tabletop space, especially. And the biggest problem that that's out there is the dominant player problem. So do you know what I mean by that, where one player kind of directs everybody? Uh, yeah, I do know all about that because I am that guy whenever I'm playing tabletop games. <laughs> yeah, is it a, a personality thing or just being good at games thing? Uh, I mean, I, it's probably a, just a mix. Like, I don't know if you're if you really care about winning and you're capable of doing so, then you're just naturally going to give everyone advice to an extreme degree where you're kind of playing for them. Right. I've heard some people say that they think it's entirely a personality thing, like you're a jerk or something, if this is the way you play. But that's really not a fair way to explain it, because you could be a very nice, mild-mannered person who just happens to know the game very well. And why shouldn't you tell people what the best move is or what mistakes they're making? So it, it raises the question of like, how do you ever avoid that? How could you even possibly avoid that? Uh, and what some games try to do is to use hidden information. So if I have my own hand of cards and you have your own hand of cards, I can't tell you exactly what to do if I don't know what cards you have. But the problem is that if we're playing a cooperative game, it's within our interest to share that information, right? Right. There's, yeah, you got to add more barriers to stop people from just saying to each other what they have. Yeah, so it feels pretty strange and artificial if you just say, okay, there's this rule that you can't talk, or you can, sorry, of course you can talk to each other, but you can't share information about what's in your hand. So pandemic is one example where they do that. There's just this rule that you're supposed to keep your cards secret, but it feels so strange that most people I know who have played pandemic just ignore that rule and play with all their hands face up. So now there's nothing left to stop someone from ordering everyone around or politely well, telling in my view there never was anything stopping them anyway because uh, a rule like you can't tell other people what you have in it like that's just i don't know it's it's such a fuzzy rule like let's say you wanted to follow it for whatever reason how, like where do you draw the line how close can you get to saying what you have without actually saying what you have like it's still pretty much undefined even with that rule right i think there's a real clash of cultures going on with playing to win versus not playing to win. So you and I come from a competitive background where if there's a move that's really powerful, but people look down on it, that doesn't matter. And you should do it anyway, because it's powerful. Like the only reason that we would not do it is if, it, if we started losing or if the, the game was patched to make it worse or something. Right. But we wouldn't stop doing it because it was cheap. Right. Yeah, but let's say that you didn't have that background and that you actually didn't do moves because they're cheap. Then maybe it makes more sense for you to not share information about your hand. But we are just all about going up to the uh, going as far as we can with what the rules allow. So if the rule is you can't talk about your hand, uh, OK, fine, we'll go as close as we can. My hand happens to have a good card, a really good card. My hand has the card that we need right now. Hey, if I move to this space, do you think you might have exactly the one thing I would need? <laughs> yeah, or I mean, in the in like not with pandemic because you know it's just co-op, but even in a game like where it would be like a team of players versus a team of players, and you're not supposed to be able to communicate. You could just make a whole fake language. You know, you're not talking about your cards in your hand. You're talking about the different color of hats you have, and all the different sizes and shapes of hats. Yeah, right. So is that against the spirit of the game, and you're just cheating yourself if you do that? Uh, well, I uh, what I would argue is that the game probably wasn't worth playing to begin with if it's no fun. If you're allowed to communicate like or rather if there's only artificial barriers that don't actually do their job, stopping you from communicating and communicating ruins the gameplay, then just don't play. But in most cases, the games can still be enjoyable even with the communicating. It's just that you run into the dominant player issue and then your friends don't want to play because you just boss them around. 
Let me give you two examples of this communication stuff from tabletop games, and then after that, which are kind of bad, and then after that we could talk about maybe what could be good. Uh, so one example is the game Battlestar Galactica, and in that game there's a traitor. So that's one thing you can try to do to break up this dominant player thing is you can have a traitor, a person who's on the other team, like they're the only person on the other team against you. Now you can't really listen to everyone because someone might be, you know, saying bad, wrong stuff. Right. So yeah, that's definitely a, a solution to this dominant player problem is to have a traitor. But what if you want to make a pure cooperative game and traitors kind of off limits? Anyway, I'm not bringing that up for that reason, but more the communication thing. So in that game, to pass a mission, you need a certain number of points in a color, like you need three yellows or 10 reds or whatever, and everybody has cards with colors and numbers. And you put in two cards face down into a pile at the same time that everybody else does, then they're mixed up and revealed. So if there's like a, a blue three in there or something, you don't know if I put it in there or you put it in there or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So if you're a trader, you would put in the wrong colors or numbers that wouldn't help with the mission, maybe, because you're trying to sabotage it. And if you're not a trader, then you're actually trying to put the correct things in. Because it's all face down, that's giving the trader cover, which the trader needs to maintain secrecy. But the problem I have with that is that I think that if I were not a trader, well, I'd want to reveal my cards ahead of time, but the game rules say that I can't. So I don't. I just say my cards ahead of time. And then I invite everyone else to say their cards ahead of time so that when we reveal everything, we, we just see if it all adds up. And if anybody, right. if anybody said something that like doesn't match a card in there, then what are they doing? Like they have to, they have to have been the traitor. Like right. there's no reason for them to do that. Right. Or if they didn't want to go along with it to begin with also immediately yeah. outs them. Yeah. If they didn't want to go along with it, why not? Cause you should. I've said that before and people have given me a lot of criticism that I don't understand the game or I don't understand cooperative games in general or something but that i don't know what to say i mean that's just people uh, think that I don't pe know. people think that's like a taboo thing and so only jerks would do it but that's like kind of what you should do i mean if it's the strongest way to win at the game then i'd say that's the fault of the game and you can never blame the player from for playing the game the most effective way Right. So the defense I've heard from other players is that I guess the rules were patched or clarified or something to add more restrictions on communication. You can't say the exact color or number, but now we're back into the stuff about just making a fake language or whatever else you want to do. Yeah. Or even without a fake language, like, OK, I can't say the number, but I'm putting in a high card, a really hard card. It's extraordinarily high. I'm, put <laughs> yeah. I'm putting in yeah. a, an extremely high. And I wouldn't say the highest card, but fairly close to the highest. <laughs> you know, can I mean, I it happens to be a color on the, the color chart between red and blue, but, you know, there's different shades in there, so I'm not going to say which one. And then, okay, so then someone hears this conversation we just had and they say, well, no, you're, you're not allowed to do that. So then they say some new restriction and we're just we're just pushing up against these sillier and sillier restrictions. So the, the whole yeah. thing is iffy. I tried to attack this from a completely different angle with Flash Duel. In Flash Duel, there's a mode where you have a traitor. And the trader has a special move where they can say all the cards in someone's hand to immediately kill them. And that means that you don't want to share information. If you, if you say what's in your hand, you're letting the trader possibly kill you. Right. You have to really be cautious with what you communicate because of the dynamics of the game rather than mm -hmm. just an artificial barrier. Yeah, I, I liked the idea of changing the incentive so that the incentive is I don't want to share as opposed to I do want to share, but the game doesn't let me. Right. I, I think that in Flash Duel, we had an advantage there that the game is so simple that there's just hardly any elements in the game. So a little bit shared helps a lot. And the trader is able to stop even a little bit from being shared. So what I'm trying to right. get at is the game is so minimal that that works. But if you had a big, complicated game, maybe that would be hard to make work. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that being hard. Yeah, so it's maybe not a general solution, but it worked there. Okay, I want to tell you one more, and I'm going to ask your opinion on this. Uh, this gets mentioned every time I've heard the subject talked about. The game Hanabi. In this game, you have a hand of cards, but unlike in normal card games, you hold the cards backwards so that you cannot see the cards that you have, but everyone else can see. Okay? And it's a cooperative game where we're trying to figure out like what cards are in our own hand and, and do whatever. Like The specifics don't really matter, but the important part is that everyone else can see it and I can't. Right. And people say that this is a solution to this co-op problem, that it's so clever, uh, but I just I still don't get it. 
Like, I think that it's, it isn't. <laughs> Wait, am I missing, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, am I missing something here? Because wouldn't you just immediately say, Hey, here's what you have. So you're not allowed to say that. Right. Which we've already determined is not a thing. That's not a rule that exists. That's just like not having that rule. Okay, so if someone who liked Hanabi was here, I think what they would say is that if you played a different game, like if you played Pandemic or something, and you heard the rule that you can't say the cards in your hand, you'd see it as arbitrary and stupid. But in Hanabi, it's closer to Flash Tool. There's so little to the game that if you say the cards in the hand, that is the whole game. Like you just immediately, obviously ruined it. So people feel like they have a stronger reason not to or just everybody just innately knows they shouldn't do that or something that's what that's okay. what i've heard people say okay well i mean in a way i mean I, that makes sense i'm not saying i agree with it but it does make sense what i would ask is is this game worth playing i mean i've never played this game but to me it sounds like if the only thing holding the game together at all is a squishy rule i'd probably rather play something else yeah it, you and i just we imagine this other type of game where we don't have to worry about that and we would rather play that game, but it's just very hard to make that game. <laughs> right. So the games that have solved this problem that I know of are just the real time tabletop games. Space Alert is one example and another game called Walkstar by my friend Tim Fowers is another example. Both of those are literally real time. So I'm scrambling to do something in a few seconds while you're scrambling to do it and yeah, that's that solves it, right? Like you can't play for me. You, yeah, you can't possibly just like in any you know real time video game like Counter Strike or something. You can't play for anyone else because you're playing. You don't have time for that. Right, and a video most video games. I mean, any real time pressure thing like Counter Strike. Uh, this is a completely non issue. So those games, Walkstar and Space Alert, are fine solutions. It's just that that's kind of weird. Most tabletop games are not real time, and if you want to make a tabletop game like. It would be frustrating to only be able to make a real time. Right, right. Game. That's 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 so much less design space than if it doesn't have to be real time. I heard Tim Fowers talk about this, uh, and he said, on the one hand, he wants to solve this problem, and that's why he made Walkstar specifically to address it. On the other hand, maybe the problem should just be ignored, because uh, Pandemic has made a ton of money, and the designer also made. Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert and expansions to Pandemic and has sold tons and tons of copies, made lots of money, made lots of people happy playing these games, and somehow they never cared. So why bother solving it, he says. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that's, I mean, the market has spoken. <laughs> that's all I can say, I guess. That's frustrating. I wish the market would really reward uh, someone addressing this if it were possible. So... How could we even possibly address it? I don't know. I mean, I've got one lame idea, but do you have anything at all to go on? Not first? particularly. Maybe you give me your lame idea and it'll inspire me. Okay, this one's from Viva Fringe. Imagine you're playing a cooperative game. Who are you even playing it with? And he says that he's probably playing it with people who are not super hardcore gamers. Because that's just kind of how it tends to happen in his world. Right. Yeah. Okay, so he doesn't want a really, really complicated game, does not want that for a cooperative game, even though he might want a very complicated game for himself or in a two-player game. So not complicated, that means that the non-gamers can play. But then he wants there to be some element of the game that can be optimized and it's kind of difficult. Like it's maybe it's easy to play it to the 80 or 90% level, but very, very difficult to perfectly play the last 10 or 20% so that he spends a lot of brain power figuring out his own moves and doesn't bother for the other players. I don't know. I mean, kind of any deck, sorry, any game that has your own deck, I sort of think of it that way. Like I know how my deck works and I know how many cards I drew and I, am I really going to bother tracking everyone else's? I could, and I could boss them around, but I'm a little less likely to the more right. I have to deal with. I would say that that just kind of it's guiding people away from the dominant player issue without directly solving it. I mean, it's definitely a helpful force, but it doesn't quite fix it all on its own, probably. No, it doesn't. It's this idea is basically giving up on solving it and saying, what can we do to mitigate, mi it, yeah. mitigate it? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you have any idea, we've been stumped on this for years. So so is everyone. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just tough because, I mean, being a guy that is the dominant player, it's just so easy, especially once I've learned the game well, even if, you know, you did distract me with any extraneous things, I'm still going to know the basic strategy that everyone else should be doing. And if I see them doing worse than that, I'm going to say something. And then we're right back to at least some level of the problem. So the solutions that we talked about, you know, with either traders or real time, those are great. And, you know, you could I've definitely had fun playing games like that. Um, but in terms of an alternate solution that's just out of the box, I, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. And hidden information keeps keeps uh, failing. I, it keeps being a fake I, solution. Yeah. I, I, I just view that as a complete non-solution, in my opinion. It's just a total non-solution. Here's a tiny little nugget of something. This is not a solution at all, but it's just a little something. In the game Space Hulk Death Angel, which is a cooperative game, there's a part during the turn where a particular player draws a card and it's like an event card, like an event's going to happen that will affect everyone. But when you draw this card, there's a decision on the card that it says you, the person who drew it, must make this decision. And you're not supposed to talk to anyone as you make that one decision. Uh, okay. Okay. And th- then yeah. the next turn, like it's going to rotate and you will be the one who will draw the card for the event that's going to affect us all, but you'll be the one that makes the decision. So anyway, what I like about that, imagine a different game where we said you can just never talk to each other. Okay. There's hidden information. You can never talk to each other. That's a stupid sounding cooperative game. Like that just doesn't sound like a f- enjoyable right social thing it would solve it but it would probably not be fun right right so that's one way you could go is you could like severely limit communication Uh, then you you get around some of this squishy stuff of like yo you can talk but you can't say exact cards but i don't really like that solution but then this the actual thing that i mentioned from space hulk death angel it isn't that because 99 percent of the game you can say whatever you want and you're supposed to cooperate but there's just this one little moment where somebody is supposed to decide one thing by themselves. And I found that that's so short of a time that people can respect it. Like it, it's right. not. I actually, I actually, that sounds fine to me. Honestly, I'd actually approve of that. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, the rest of the time you're still going to have this dominant player, right? But right, it, you it do. does at yeah. least, it, at least it, it gives some interesting element to everyone. I don't know. I mean, like that sounds like a, a neat thing. Ultimately, though, people would probably still hate playing that game with me because I'd still just yell at them for every other portion of the game. Or actually, I don't know, like, I've never played this game, but depending on how many of those scenarios there were, I'd probably yell at them before they draw the card and tell them what they should do for each card or, like, for a lot of the different cards just because, <laughs> you know, that's just how I do it. So it, it, it I, I definitely think people in, would enjoy that, and it's fine like i don't think it's a bad thing to have in the game but still not quite getting to where we need to be yeah i think it helps we're just so bad off that any little tiny thing is worth mentioning i thought right okay so what about video games that are cooperative uh, you played several of those i think yeah i played the one i spent the most time on was uh world of warcraft rating uh 10 and 25 man back at level 70 and 80 mm-hmm. world of warcraft and i believe you also played Diablo with other people? Oh, yeah. I played Diablo 2 and Diablo 3 with uh, many friends for many, many hours as well. Okay. So I've, I've played both of those. Um, Diablo, I play mostly as a solo thing, though. Uh, but I did play World of Warcraft a fair amount. And what else? I played uh, the Lego games, like Lego Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Have you ever played those on console? I have not played them, but I do know about them. And Portal 2, which I love. Right, right. What are some things that you think are good or bad in these various cooperative games? Okay, so one thing I definitely want to talk about is if your game has rewards, whether it be like loot or some kind of currencies or experience, one key thing is to make sure that everyone in the group is getting the identical amount of it, or at least a chance at the identical, like if it's loot, you know, everyone's getting the same amount of drops or the same chance to get drops, or if it's experience, everyone's getting the same experience. Because what happens in a lot of games where you don't follow that and you give uh, rewards to players based on their participation is that one guy ends up dominating and then snowballs that forever to the point where no one else is even playing the game anymore. 
And uh, one game that happened in was uh, Mass Effect 3 Co-op. Uh, I was never a fan of Mass Effect 3 Co-op, but, uh, you know, I played it with my friends and we quickly realized that if we want to change our character, everyone in the group has to change their character. Otherwise, they're never going to be able to get their new character off the ground because my old character is going to soak up all the experience and your new character is not going to ever progress at all. When you say change your character, do you mean start a new character at level one? Right, right. Yeah, I see. And it seems like games that have cooperative stuff in them, it's so hard to make any game at all in the first place. It's just on so many levels, just technical and art. It's just hard to make a thing that they can't really think of everything at at first. But then that issue that you just said, it, it eventually comes up and they're, and people are just game makers are just forced to do something about it. So some example, like a city of heroes, there's a sidekick mode where lower level characters can be like fake higher level for a while. That was a solution to the, this same kind of problem in MMOs. Uh, Diablo 3 has that exact same feature now. It didn't before, but now it does. Uh, I don't, did you even know that? I actually did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Uh, so a lower level character playing with a higher level character gets stat boosted to be similar to the higher level character. You, you, and it's just like uh, City of Heroes, you don't get new abilities, but at least the abilities you have are stronger. They're juiced up, right. Yeah, right. And then also in... Diablo or uh, World of Warcraft also, like the lower level character is getting a lot of experience points. Right, right. Is, is it, with, the the opposite of what you said, like the the disaster right. would be if you got like basically none. Right. Did you list another important thing or was that your first thing was that less skilled players be able to function alongside the more skilled players? Is that right? Yes, that everyone needs to be progressing equally and feel like they're on equal footing, even if player A is way better than player B at the game. So let me ask you this. Why do you think that, I'm not saying that's not important, but why do you think that that's important when you wouldn't have given that requirement in a competitive game? Uh, Because uh, a lot of the fun for me personally in a co-op game is that I can play this in a a stress-free environment where I don't have any worries. I don't have to try to come up with improvements to my game or coach other people. I can just let everyone have fun and do whatever they want. And we'll all be working together and just kind of, you know, messing around casually. And it's not a big deal. But if uh, in a competitive game, you kind of have to reward more skill. Otherwise, it sounds kind of weird that your game exists at all. Also, uh, one thing to note is that usually in competitive games, you're not really getting uh, rewards over time that affect the game. Usually, you know, it'll just be one match. That's the game like in Counter-Strike. You know, there's no rewards that are carrying over long term. Or even in a game like League of Legends or Dota 2, where you do get vastly different amounts of gold and experience based on your performance, that just seems to be the only natural way to do it. I don't, I don't know. What about games that don't have any progression, like the Lego Star Wars or whatever, or Portal 2? We come together, we play a game. Like the progression isn't even, progression between games isn't really part of it. But what I'm getting at is let's say we're playing Street Fighter or StarCraft or something, and there wasn't a handicap feature, but the game was really good, and a better player beat a worse player like a lot you'd probably say that's fine and expected. And yet in a cooperative game, if one player is skilled and the other isn't, and there's no handicapping feature, you'd say it's terrible. I, I'm again, right. I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just asking why is that? Okay, uh, the reason for that is that in order to differentiate good players from bad players uh, and have your competitive game meet anything, you need to have ways for more skill to be rewarded in the game. Mm-hmm. But in a cooperative game, the entire group is just one unit. It's not, you're not looking to highlight individual things. It's, it's all about the entire group and the whole group succeeding or the whole group failing, the whole group moving forward together or not moving forward together. And anything other than that, if you allow people to become more dominant within the group, it's going to take away from everyone else's experience, thus defeating the whole purpose of the cooperative game and playing with other people. Mm, yeah, I see. You reminded me of another concept, the parts of the machine design. I 
had some posts about that a long time ago. I should probably write a full article on it. So the concept there is let's take World of Warcraft or any MMO as an example. There's the holy trinity or whatever of the tank healer and DPS classes. In case someone doesn't know what that means, the, the tank soaks up damage, has a lot of good armor. The healer heals the tank back to full and the DPS people are damage per second are dealing as much. They're like sitting back in the back lines, not getting hit, but dealing as much damage as possible. So that configuration is super powerful. And that is parts of the machine, meaning the entire machine is all three of those types of classes working together. And if you are the tank, you are just one part of it. But other games, some other games don't have that concept, like uh, Counter-Strike doesn't have that concept, right? Like any, you could yeah. sort of, if you're- Everyone's the same thing. Yeah, so like, let's say you were staking out a certain area of the map, like that your team had decided that you should do that. Right. That That's your role, but that's not really a part of the machine in, in a sense, I mean, because if you got killed or decided to wander off or something, I could just go over there and, and do that. Like we're- Right. Yeah. Everyone's interchangeable. No one has a specific identity that that limits them from doing other aspects of the game. Yeah. So the reason I want to bring this up is that it's a big thing in cooperative games to have parts of the machine. And I think that some designers think that that makes it have more teamwork, but that doesn't make sense to me. I, th I think the opposite is true or something. If you have parts of the machine, you are forced to have teamwork. Right. I mean, you like it's the only thing you can do, but right. there's less chance of improv. Like if um, if the tank dies, you just die. But yeah, if someone, there's, there's less flexibility available. But if someone dies in Counter-Strike or any other game that doesn't have this concept, then you don't just die. You can like suddenly reconfigure your team and do a different thing. And that's more teamwork, actually, not less. Right. Yeah, it's true. Another way I say it that makes the whole thing sound stupid is imagine that you were playing two versus two StarCraft and someone said there's not enough teamwork in this. It's it's actually it's totally ridiculous because in two versus two StarCraft, it's like entirely about teamwork. I mean, you, right. have, to, you have to coordinate every little thing. Like if, if I attack with my Zerglings and then 10 seconds later you're on my team and you attack with yours, it's completely ineffective. Yeah, you probably just lost the whole game. Right. We probably just lost the whole game. We have to both attack at exactly the same time if we're going to do that at all. Every little thing has to be super coordinated. There's no lack of teamwork in that game. So by for, if you force some kind of parts and machine thing, it, it would not increase teamwork. I think what it actually does is it makes it easier to understand a game when you don't know anything about it and you're new. You're like, what am I supposed to be doing? Oh, my character can only heal. OK, well, I should heal then. Like, right. that's what it does. Right, which is an advantage of asymmetry in character selection anyway, where you get to learn one subset of the entire game but still participate in it. Oh, right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just prefer the, like, the, I'd say the Diablo way. Because, like, in Diablo, your characters are all different. They're asymmetric. You can just learn one class and not have to know how all the other ones work. So you get that property you just said. But there is no class that is only one thing. Like there's no class right. that, can't, that can't heal or something because everyone can heal when they get, I mean, everyone has abilities that heal and everyone can pick up health orbs. So it's all interchangeable. I don't know. I, I guess you're just in agreement on all this or? Yeah, I'm entirely in agreement. Okay. Did you have any thoughts on how it applies to World of Warcraft maybe or some other game you've played? Um, let me think. So in World of Warcraft, I think, hmm, what do I think? I don't so know what I think. You played Rogue, right? Yeah. Which is DPS. Right. And they are only DPS. They cannot possibly do anything else. Yeah. So you were very much a part of the machine. Did you, do you ever right. feel powerless or annoyed at that or something? Or? Oh, well, I mean, in a cooperative game where you're constantly trying to get more loot and trying to progress your character, it can be frustrating to have the machine type system because I have to find different parts of the machine for my pickup group when I run a, do a dungeon. I can't just bring anybody with me because I need exactly one healer, exactly one tank, and then the rest of us damage or, you know, whatever it might be. So it, it uh, elongates the process of actually playing the game at all because you have to get a specific setup of people that are appropriately skilled at their part of the machine. Yeah, that's another good point is the, the whole matchmaking process becomes more restricted. Which is a similar problem in League of Legends 
where they actually tried to fix it by adding a separate queue called Team Builder, where you actually identify where you're going to be on the map, which is absurd because you're allowed to be anywhere on the map, and also exactly what role you're going to play in advance in order to try to get it where you can find a group that fits, like that, that meshes well with the current best known strategies more easily and not have clashes with other people. And this queue not only takes a while, but also is just kind of absurd on its face, saying that, like, I'm trying to imagine if in Counter-Strike, I had to queue up for not only what map I wanted to play, but also what gun I would buy, and also where I would stand still with that gun. (laughs) It would just be absurd. I don't know why, when you explain the League of Legends thing, it didn't sound as crazy as the Counter-Strike thing, but it's kind of the same, actually. I don't know why that is. Yes. I mean, it's still a slight difference there. I'm not saying they're identical, but they're very similar. Are uh, you familiar with a World of Warcraft thing that's the same as that, the looking for raid? Yes. Um, it has the same problem where it can take a really long time to actually find a raid. It took them years and years to iterate on that, and it, it kept being... I don't even, I couldn't tell you the exact history of what changed but i i know that they they knew they needed that and so they tried to implement it and everyone kind of thought it was stupid and there's a network effects thing going on there where it's not valuable unless everyone thinks it's valuable you know right right Uh, yeah so they just changed it several times until i think these days i've heard that it mostly functions okay but sure i think your point underlying all this is that wouldn't it be nice to not have that <laughs> to not yeah, need if, it. If I could just come in with anybody, I wouldn't need to wait to find my tank. I could just have anyone instead. <laughs> it's just so much easier. So if you were in charge of designing a MOBA, would you not use the parts of the machine design like the existing ones do or what? I would definitely. I, I mean, I think it's okay to have characters that, can heal or this or that, but I think less extreme though, less pigeonholed than to just way, just. way less pigeonholed. Um, I, I would want the game to be in a state where if me and my buddies just want to play a game and want to have a reasonable chance of winning, we can just each pick our favorite character. And if we play well, that's going to give us at least a, a decent shot of winning the game. Unlike in league of legends, where if we all just picked our favorite character, and went for it, we could easily be absolutely destroyed if we all picked the same type of character or the wrong composition of types of <laughs> Right, you, you've picked an incomplete machine, conceivably, right. in, that, in right. that case. Yeah. And, and especially in MOBAs, it can be extraordinarily punishing because some characters only become strong late into the game. And if you and all your buddies all like characters like that, and you all want to pick a character like that, you will just lose the game right away and never even have any fun. (laughs) Great. Support for this podcast comes from patrons like you at patreon.com slash Serlin. You can become a patron and support the development of more finely tuned Serlin games, as well as more content on this podcast. And if you do, you get access to a sneak peek at art that's in development and playtest materials for upcoming games. You also get access to a special second podcast where you can hear behind the scenes of how we actually solve design problems. That's patreon.com slash Serlin. Have you played any more cooperative games that are not competitive, not like MOBAs? I'm sure I have. Let me try to think, though. Uh... Uh, My favorite example is Portal 2. I've had a great success playing that co-op every time. I don't know what it is about that game. It's just, um, it doesn't require very much dexterity and it's a puzzle solving game. So in some sense, our whole discussion about tabletop game design of co-op games is very relevant because if one person knows how to solve the puzzle, then what's, why is the other person even there? Uh, and, and that could, that can be a problem if one person is too on the ball compared to the other, but in my personal experience, I've, fa- I've just been able to collaborate with whoever I've been playing with, where we're both trying to put together little pieces of it. Like, well, I see that you could, putting a portal here would let us get there, but I don't know why we want to do that. And then the other person says what little thing they see, and we, we kind of solve it together. 
Well, Portal 2 has one huge advantage in that you could have, not that they necessarily always do this, but you can have both people seeing different screens, you know, different mm-hmm. rooms or what, whatnot, which is essentially like giving them an entirely different game. I mean, it's way too inefficient to try to explain everything you can see to another player. Whereas in a tabletop game, everyone's just going to be sitting around in a circle and you could very easily see what's going on. You can actually picture and picture in Portal 2 and see their screen, but your point still kind of stands because we, when we're in different places on the map, even if it is one room, one person has a better view, one person can see around the corner, and yeah, it's very possible that you're seeing different things. Right, I mean, you just have incom- you, you have less complete information about what's going on, so it's going to be harder to boss the other person around. Yeah, and there's something, I don't know, it's intangible, having trouble explaining it, but something about how when the problem is complicated enough and I can only really say how to do a little piece of it, it actually does help to have other people. Um, yeah, it, I mean, that makes sense. I get what you're saying is that uh, people can fill in the gaps that yeah. you're not understanding. The opposite would be a game that's too simple, like, well, we use Pandemic again, where one person can just see, oh, the optimal move is this, this immediately. There, there isn't really a pieces to put together. <laughs> right. So when I find something I, I like, such as that, uh, such as the Portal 2 thing, I try to think, well, how, how can we generalize this? And I don't know. I mean, make a really interesting game. <laughs> that's how you generalize it. <laughs> yeah, so the, that's very general. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make a game that you have to th- think about solutions to puzzles hard enough that it actually helps to have another person. But maybe it's not so insightful. Um, so Lego Star Wars and Lego Indiana Jones, those games are quite a bit simpler than Portal. Uh, and I I do like those. I think they're super accessible. Like anybody can understand them immediately. And you try to work together to solve simple puzzles and find secrets. And they're pretty fun. But there's just, I don't know, there's not as much to it. There's I like them, but just not as much. I probably wouldn't like those games because they probably wouldn't hold my interest for very long. <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> so what would your ideal cooperative game be? Uh, n- not competitive, not co-op competitive like a MOBA. But right. Um, would it well, be real- I've never played it. Would it be so, real time or? Yeah, it would definitely be real time, I think. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, just based on the fact that if it's real time, you've solved one of the the black boxes of co-op gaming. Sure. Mm-hmm. Also... In real time, besides the dominant player thing, there's also something about when you are helping someone, like if, if my, you know, if, if it's a shooting game of some sort and we like you can you can have dynamics that are really intrinsically satisfying. Like uh, recently I went to Dave and Buster's, you know, the arcade mm-hmm. and they had a shooting game where they'll put a target like certain targets will have this like ring around them. And if both players fire on them, you'll, you'll deal way more dramatically increased damage. And there's something about that, that you can't really do in a turn-based thing where we both help each other out on the fly in the moment. And it's just really satisfying. I don't know. I don't know what, what to say about it. It just works really well in real time that I think it's lost if you go to turn-based. Yeah. So you would like a action-based thing as opposed to right. puzzle solving. sounds like. Uh, well, well, I'm, I'm totally not about puzzle games. I don't like them at all. So an action-based thing with improv where you can pick anything you want and team up with someone who picked anything they want. Right. And even if they're less skilled than you, they will progress if progression exists. Right. Yeah. The only pa- the only passing or failing benchmark is for the team. There is no you don't even need to have stats for the individual players honestly. It doesn't even matter. All that matters is whether the team succeeds or the team fails. I see. Another way I think of it of whether I would enjoy like I'm imagining I'm playing the game you just described. A metric for me is I want there to be different characters, okay? So you could have everything you just said with only one character. We all play the same thing but I really like asymmetric games and I, I want a character that has, they don't have to be super complicated, but enough to them that I can learn their tricks and their nuances. And like, that's kind of what I'm getting into is like, I'm trying to master my own different character than you're trying to play. 
So I don't know that that appeals to me. Uh, one little elaboration I want to make on the point about not highlighting the individual. Mm-hmm. Also, in that same shooting game that I played in the arcade, it would tell us our score, our accuracy, and who got more kills at the end. And I was doing a lot better than my friend. That, even that, just just simply saying who performed better without actually giving them any sort of reward whatsoever, still I totally disagree with that existing. Because all it did was make my friend feel bad. And it didn't make me feel good because, you know, I, I'm a competitive gamer. All I do is play games. Of course, I'm going to do better. That's not rewarding to me to outperform my friend and it's making him feel bad. So why is it even there? Yeah, I think Microsoft agrees with you. Uh, Their Xbox requirements say that you have to have a ranked mode and then another unranked mode, which on Xbox 360 is called player match, which is terribly named. I'm not sure if it's the name changed on Xbox one, but player match is all about what you just said. You cannot show stats. You're supposed to be able to play that mode without worrying that you did badly. There's no shame in having bad stats because they're not sh- shown to you. Uh, and then the, the ranked mode must show stats because that's all about the glory and shame of look how great my record is and look how bad yours is and I beat you. And you and I understand that very well. That That's a certain setting, but it just doesn't make sense for cooperative games. <laughs> yeah, I think they have never run the money. I think that's exactly how it should be. Yeah. Do you have any opinion on games like a many versus one thing like say four or five people cooperating on a team against one super player uh there's a couple examples of that coming up one called evolve where the super player plays like a monster werewolf thing that gets stronger and stronger the longer the match goes on and so he's kind of trying to run away and get really strong and then fight all the the rest of the team you know when he's powered up uh there's another one fable legends where it's kind of the same sort of thing. There's a, a villain character, although I think the villain does not control one single entity, but rather controls the whole map, controls where to spawn a bunch of enemies, and then the team joins together to fight to fight that. I don't know. Does uh, that- I don't. I don't have a strong opinion on those. Uh, typically, the ones I've played have not been very fun, but inherently, there's nothing wrong with the idea to me. I mean, it could be fun. Sure. I don't know. Uh, is there any specific thing about them? Any specific dynamics that are in question? I just throwing that out there is a different type of experience. Like, I wonder what design challenges there are for that super player. Like, how do you make that the right level of fun or or fair? I mean, it, to me, it sounds like it's kind of a, a ugly thing to figure out because let's say I'm playing with my buddies and we're all wildly different skill levels. It seems very likely to me that if all players are going to have meaningful decisions that will really impact the game, then when I'm the one player, you know, the superpower, I'm going to annihilate them. And when any one of them is a superpower with my leadership in the group and, you know, outperforming the superpower, like it, whatever side I'm on is going to win. And that's kind of like it's like it's like fake competitive when I don't want it to be. Because, I mean, it's not really competitive because you can never have a a game like that that's actually competitive. It just doesn't make sense because you need to have teams of the same size. I mean, I guess you could have really strange thing where it is a competitive game by having five player. Or, you know, like, let's just say it's five versus one. So every team shows up with five players and then one of their players is the superpower. And then the five, you know, when they're on the other side. But that just sounds all sorts of weird. That's what Fable Legends is, actually. Uh, but, But it's. I mean, you register as one side or the other, of course, like like you queue as the super player. Well, sure. I'm saying like if you wanted a tournament of it, you would need to have a five player team. Oh, oh. Enter, well, I, I mean, like, com- one entity. OK, no comment on tournaments, but I meant the, the concept of having leaderboards and records. And I mean, it's, fu- it's fine in a, a, a ladder setting because, sure, you could just see who's the best as the superpower and who's the best as the team. That's fine. Right. I don't know about your assertion that you would win on the, uh, what do we need names for these things? The, the superpower and the team. Okay. The team. Yeah. I, I don't know if you could win on the team as easily as you're saying, cause if you're the best player in the team, but there's like a fairly decent player as the super guy. Well, I, in my example, I'm like magnitude is better at the game than all my friends. There are varying skills, but like, let's yeah. say they're from a 20 to a 40 and I'm an a hundred, you know? 
Well, I'm what I'm saying is if someone was even like a 60 or something as the super player that, and you're a hundred as a team member, even good leadership skills, you'd probably lose to your crappy team of twenties. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Which wouldn't be fun. Like basically my point was that it's very likely if you have in a, in a five versus one or, you know, whatever it might be, but a team versus a superpower, you're very likely if the people that you're playing with are of very different skill levels, someone's not going to have fun. Yeah. So in a game like that, would you try to put in handicaps or something on purpose? When I say handicaps, I mean, or boosts, levelers of some sort to let inexperienced players be stronger or you be weaker or something. I mean, I view that as a Band-Aid, so I'd rather have it than not have it, but I would have just done something else to begin with to not have to use the Band-Aid. Um, I don't quite follow because it's inherent, like there is no something else. Right, so I wouldn't make that kind of game. <laughs> you wouldn't make any cooperative game? Because, <laughs> I mean, any cooperative game, that's inherent. Even oh, if there's no, no, not but no, no, but, no, no, but uh, if everyone's one team and you're not versus another person, then it's different. Like, then it's fine. Like, I don't care if I'm doing if I'm doing way more of the monster killing in Diablo than my friend, because we're all still getting loot. We're all still, you know, leveling up that it's still fun for everybody. But if my friend is not controlling Diablo and then now he just kills us because my friends are bad, then I'm not going to have any fun. Or if I'm Diablo and I'm really good and I'm killing all my friends, they're not going to have any fun. What if it was a 50 percent win ratio like, I mean, what if you played a bunch of times and then it turns out it was a 50% win ratio? Wouldn't that have been fun or something? I mean, it would, uh, I mean, it, it, that would all depend. I mean, it, sorry, it I meant sounds, to say, w wouldn't you not have rejected it on the grounds that it was unfair? Um, well, I mean, in my example where me and my friends are all vastly different skills, the only realistic way that that would be the outcome is if the skill of the game was largely trivialized and then I'd wonder how fun the game is to be in with. You mean if um, it really just mattered what you did and like if you were able to kind of win on your own and ignore all them, then you question right. what mean, the it, point of it all is. Right. Yeah. I don't see why you would be against boosts from them. I guess it, we're kind of tangling up if it's a competitive thing or not. Well, I mean, part of my point was that if it's if it's a team versus a superpower, it's like this pseudo competitive thing. Yeah. So because it's you are versus another person. So it's competitive enough that you think it doesn't make sense to give boost to people because you're like, that's against the spirit of competition. <laughs> right. Uh, so so now you're kind of stuck with this. Um, I'm really good. My team is terrible. And if we lose, it's because the team's terrible. And if we win, then it's like, why did I even have the team? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun when you happen to have friends who are a similar skill level to you. Oh, sure. I'm sure it could be very enjoyable. But I mean, realistically, that's not the case. Mm, You're not yeah. going to have people. I mean, even if even if you are you take a whole group of non-gamers. Some of them are going to be better at learning than others. You're, you're quickly going to move to different skill levels. I mean, everyone's not just going to follow along the same learning curve. OK. What about this idea, this variation? It's still the competitive leaderboard thing. Like, so there's some person out there that's playing the super guy every time. But in this one, it's a pickup game and you are ranked and there's a matchmaking system and so on. It does not use parts of the machine design. So you can pick anybody you want and join up, be, be match made with a team of other people who picked anyone they wanted. Uh, and you're at equal well, you're not at equal, but you're at relatively close skill level because the matchmaking system decided that. Now, you still have to communicate with your team, um, but you've solved part of it, at least. I mean, yeah. I mean, once you add matchmaking and a wide enough uh, variety of players where you can find people of equal skill, then, yeah, I'm, these games could definitely be enjoyable. It's just a matter of what, how narrow of a range is it where I will be able to enjoy it with people of different skill levels. Like, how far right. away from my skill level are they where it no longer becomes fun. Yeah. Yeah. And the same kind of hurdles with tabletop games, as we mentioned earlier, my example from Viva Fringe that he happens to play with cooperative games with people who are worse than him. And so he needs a game that accommodates that. You could use that same concept in a video game too, that intentionally make it so that someone barely competent is kind of 80% as good. Right. 
as opposed to someone incompetent is 1% as good. <laughs> right. Right. Cause then you're, you're, then it's more efficient for you. If your goal is to win, it's more efficient for you to just play for them and not actually try to do the fun things for yourself. Right. But if the kind of average person is able to do 80% of the power, then it's just sort of more fun all around. And you shouldn't complain too much if you're super competitive, because if you're really super right, competitive right. and you're at 100% power and they're at 80% power, you should be plenty happy, I think. <laughs> right. I mean, you're probably still going to succeed or whatever. If the difficulty of whatever thing you're doing is so highly tuned where everyone has to be at 100%, well, then you shouldn't have picked that to begin with because you know that there's no way you're going to ever win. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've covered a lot of things about both tabletop and video game co-ops. So that's probably enough for now. Yeah. Fun talk. All right. Well, take care. Until next time, I'm David Serlin. I'm Aphotix. And now a special segment where we meet Mr. G Phantom. Hey guys, how's it going? This is Mr. G Phantom. <laughs> hey, thanks for, uh, for joining the show. Oh, sure thing, man. This is exciting stuff. So I'm kind of low on opinions. I heard you had some opinions. I, I have, I have some opinions. I have, I have problems with the games my friends play because. Oh, really? Yes, I because I think they play bad games with crazy rules. <laughs> I don't really have that problem. If someone wants to play a bad game or something, I just don't play it. I just like go read a book or go make my own game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I guess I guess there's like a. A social thing that I'm trying to keep up, right? Like, keep my right. friends or something. Yeah, I don't know how that works exactly, but go ahead and explain. <laughs> uh, list off some of the games that are bad that you're forced to play or something. So, like, I play games like Munchkin, which is a, a mm -hmm. multiplayer game. The card game, uh, yeah. My, yes, with my friends that have kind of rules. Like, not really rules, but they're written down. Uh, then they have, I play Call of Duty and Halo with them as well. But we play them with a twist. We we have we use custom rules that see that in their opinion creates a better game of skill. Okay, so Munchkin, Call of Duty, and Halo. You said. Yeah, and of course I play very popular, very well known. I play Street Fighter Four with with friends. That one doesn't <laughs> have crazy rules. That one just kind of sucks. <laughs> oh, so, so that's in the category of bad game also the, the mega popular street fighter 4 right the mega popular <laughs> street fighter 4 i'm gonna throw that into the bad game category okay that, let I, me, that I play okay let me hear about the first person shooters first what are so are you saying that the games you think those games are bad or are you saying that the special like weird rules your friends play are bad i think i think call of duty has some arguments for being bad but i think halo is mostly solid but it's the rules it's the crazy rules that i have to play with with friends it's, it's that, mostly your friends that are bad it sounds like right right exactly yeah it's it's my friends i'm throwing them under a bus here and you know basically saying they they suck at the game so they have to like create rules to put it more in their favor for their play style not this is not to even say i'm good at the game i just don't care i think it's you know it's they're they're the ones who want to win in a crazy way and not me. You could be bad and still detect crazy rules. So tell me about the rules. I want to know what they are. Yeah. So the most popular rule uh, in our group of play was the high weapon damage but fast recovery rule. High weapon damage, so that uh, any shot kills, kind of. Right. So any any gun kills really fast. Any shot kills really fast, which you know makes every gun kind of equal and symmetrical and really boring in yeah. a sense mm -hmm. and then the high but the 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 thing that really puts it over the edge i think is the high recovery or the fast recovery rule which is like say if you're getting a gunfight and you're on the losing end but somehow you're able to run uh, if you're able to run away then you heal from your wounds really fast and the reasoning for that was because if you survive a gunfight you should live and so you should have fast recovery <laughs> Like, should as in you deserve it? Like, good job, you survived? Yeah, like, good job, you survived, you know? Like, well, what if like, I survive a, some little footsie game in Street Fighter, you know, for a couple seconds? Can I run to the corner and heal back to full? Shouldn't well, I be able to do that? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like, I kind of think they would be like, well, we got to, you know, there, there should be some things here about, you know, surviving. I don't know. It's I, I don't think like that. It's kind of hard to understand their, their reasoning behind the crazy rules that we play with. 
Well, I, I like the Street Fighter version where every hit does like, I don't know, 50% damage or something, 40%. Mm-hmm. But then if you run away for two seconds, you're at full. Right, right, right. That that that's probably a that's probably a rule that uh, my friends would like a lot because 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 you survive the encounter, you should be rewarded for that by being able to have full full health. And what about StarCraft? Like every hit destroys a building, but <laughs> if you lose like most of your army, you should get it back if you can run away with some of your army. Right, right, <laughs> would right. With that, right, be so, analogous? right, right. Say if you do like a say if you do a Zerg rush or something, but like it doesn't go well, so you run away. You should automatically get all your Zergs back, right? Well, if you had one Zergling live. Right, right. right. Like, you, you have to have one Zergling Because then you survive the fight. Right, right. <laughs> you survive the fight, so you should be rewarded, uh, you know, disproportionately. <laughs> so what about uh, Street Fighter Four? Do they play that in a weird way or just a normal way? No, that, that's, that's just like a normal way. And it's just, the unfortunate thing is uh, they, don't under, they don't understand that, like, big combos and long combos and bullshit hard to do setups don't really equate to like a, a, a game with a lot of you know with good decisions and and skill you know so it's, they like the training mode stuff they love so. the training mode stuff the bigger the combo the more exciting right are they into option selects yeah some of them are well it's interesting because some of them are, but the ones that aren't, they will make claims like, I don't need the option select to to be really great at this game, you know. But then again, I, I see them, like, lose tournaments and stuff, so I'm not so sure that claim has a lot of validity. <laughs> I thought they'd be way into it because you could like, practice those setups in, uh, in training mode and then that would remove decisions you had to make in the real game. And so they would really, maybe they would like that because your friends seem backwards. I think I think conceptually they like it, but what the problem is that they run into the same uh, execution walls that everyone else does. But then they don't they don't what a normal person would be is like, well, this is really hard and it's kind of bullshit and it should be kind of be out of the game, right? Like the you know the roll cancels and all the complicated option selects, uh, parry option selects in Street Fighter Three, and a normal person might say, oh, I don't think that should be in the game, but they're like. Well, I can't learn it, but I'm glad it's in the game because it's more depth. <laughs> yeah, that's not what more depth means. We covered that in uh, the last episode. <laughs> of right, podcast. right, right, right. Cocaine logic. Yeah, it's cocaine logic. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, definitely. well no, well, de- depth fallacy. That uh, mm. if I learn a new thing, that means the game's deeper. Because actually, the new thing you learn could uh, be more and more degenerate. Right, right. Uh, exactly. Let me hear about the other game, uh, Munchkin the card game. Munchkin's a crazy game with, where the rules don't even totally make sense like uh who what's the rule for who goes first in that it's like whoever's tallest or oldest or something like that it's who it's i it's it's something i i think i think that rule changes from version to version version to version okay i know there's another rule of if there's any dispute then whoever owns that copy of the game is the arbiter right yes there's that so it's not exactly the style of solid rules that we are used to so so how does this go with your friends well so again i I feel like I play with a group of people who are competitive, right? And so when you have a competitive group of people play a game that is like a, a fake competitive game, like Munchkin should never be taken seriously as a competitive game. Like no one should be striving to win in that game because it's such a sham. It really is bordering on like a fun activity, in my opinion. <laughs> as but, opposed to a game, it's like an activity that you do together. Right, right. It's the Munchkin activity of... It's an activity of how to screw people over. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to help him, and then uh, I'm going to take the treasure, and then I'm going to screw you with all these things that make your monster bigger. And that's the activity. It's like an activity of screwing with people. Yeah, like coloring books. That's an activity, too. Do exactly. Your, do your friends see it as an activity or as a, <laughs> as a competitive game? Yeah, if you if you put it in a in a game box, they might look at it as a game. No, I'm asking your friends, which way do they see it when you play it with them? Oh, no, they think it is like serious game, like I have to win. Oh, they They'll, see it as serious game. So that's right. probably frustrates you because you're like, yeah. this This is a stupid thing that is just a screw around activity. Oh, totally. <laughs> most, most games in Munchkin, and I think like if you ask anybody who's ever played Munchkin, will probably say like the winner is basically random. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, well, it's like lots of king, <laughs> kingmaker, right? Like right. someone who someone who's not going to win can determine who does win. Exactly, right? You know, and and like we 
there are people when when the people I play with we play like that openly, yet we still all want to win. <laughs> you know, it's like, but and and there is of course there's this thing of uh, oh if I can't win I'm definitely gonna make sure you lose right and so there's that as well, but you know with the group that I play uh, play with. When, when that happens, right, say if someone's so losing that they can't win, so they're going to make sure the other, some somebody who screwed them over can't win, all of a sudden, there's more skill involved when you do win in Munchkin. Well, there's to more the, skill because you avoided getting king-made or whatever, right? Right, right, exactly. There's just or, more skill. I said that backwards, but you know what I meant. <laughs> uh, right, right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. More skill. Yeah, so the more, like, terrible BS stuff you put in the game, the more skill there is at either avoiding it or using it. Right, right? exactly. And so if they happen to avoid it, they think they're super skilled. But at the end of the day, if you really look at it, you, like, review the entire game, it's random. You randomly won. You didn't skillfully, like, have the right card because the cards you have are irrelevant because everybody else can screw with your cards. <laughs> well, on that note, you and your friend should play the most skilled game of all time, which is Mario Party. Right. Yes. <laughs> Mario Party. You know what, though? Fun. You know, we've played that. They like it. So. <laughs> you like Mario Party. They like all right, Mario I, Party. Oh, thank you for giving us a sense of uh, your personal purgatory that you're stuck in with your friends. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a good time for me to vent about these terrible games and terrible rules that we play with because they want to win but not like work for it i guess i don't know i don't know what's going on <laughs> okay well thanks for your opinions mr g phantom all right thank you for having me on david serlin <laughs> all right take care bye, bye. <laughs>